Hey everybody, it's Seth with Jensen USA, and as always, I am joined with my wonderful friend Jeff Kendall-Weed on this episode of Kendall vs. Kendall. And today, uh, 2019, this is our second episode, and we are going to be cranking these out every month and bringing you more entertaining and informational content uh, every month. So Jeff and I are kind of in a situation right now where there's not a whole lot of writing happening in our local area. That's because up here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, we are getting hit with snowmageddon or snowpocalypse or whatever you want to call it. And uh, I'm looking out my window right now and I've got at least two feet sitting outside and it is snowing at a rate of about four to six inches per hour currently Ooh at my house. Yeah, so my bikes are all just sitting. In fact, I uh, often keep my bikes inside my Sprinter van so that I can have quick access to the trails or the <laughs> pump track. I can't even get into my Sprinter van right now. So uh, the likelihood of me hitting the trails is pretty low. How about on your end, Jeff? Man, I have brand new bike parts that I'm so excited to ride. And it's like, why even install them? And there's no riding happening here right now. Yeah. So everyone kind of realizes the Northwest is known for rain and I guess like gnarly winters or whatever. But honestly, the winters here aren't that big of a deal. It usually snows like three or four times. It's not that big of a deal whatsoever. And this is way more than we're used to ever handling. Yeah, for us, um, you know, like we're outside of Portland area and Portland gets a lot of rain and stuff and t generally milder temperatures. But we usually get a handful of snows in Hood River. But uh, it's kind of been a really mild winter this year. And then all of a sudden this hit, and so far, <laughs> looking at all the forecasts, there's no stop. Like, I'm supposed to fly to Southern California on Tuesday, and I'm not sure I'm going to make it to the airport. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but with that being said, with snow and trails being unrideable and, uh, you know, travel and that kind of stuff, that brings us to... When you can't ride your local trails or you just want a taste of something else, some other trails, some other adventure, how do you travel with your bike? How do you actually go explore new territories, make sure you have the right setup? Um, and so, you know, Jeff obviously travels a ton with his bike. He's always going all over the places, trying new places, trying new trails. And so I thought, hey, who better to answer this question than Jeff? So I'm gonna I'm going to be as the noob in traveling with a bike. I'm gonna be asking Jeff a bunch of questions, and hopefully we can land on some gems that will help you travel with your bike and find really cool destinations to ride. Sounds like a plan? Sounds good to me. All right. Well, let's get started with this. So, first of all, Jeff, um, the the big question that has to come up is choosing a destination, right? Like that's gotta be kind of your first step. Uh, when I lived in Illinois, uh, we always based our stuff on what we could easily drive to, drive to because uh, our airports weren't, like we had a tiny one locally, but it was a big pain in the butt. And then the next closest one was an hour and a half. The next one was three hours away. Like it just wasn't something that we could just pop out and do. So with that being said, um, how do you like, what guides you when you're choosing your destinations? What, what kind of things do you look for? Dude, honestly, Allegiant Airlines guides me in my locations. So honestly, yeah. the first thing I kind of I want to mention is getting motivated to travel. It's if you don't actually set like a goal or a reason to go someplace, you almost never go anywhere. So a big part of why I raced for those 15 years or whatever, a big part of that was really just it was a great carrot to go to these cool spots. So yeah. even the, the race is cool and all, but honestly, like, 
I would never have gone to half those locations if I didn't have that as an incentive to make the trip. So don't be shy about signing up for some kind of organized event, race, whatever, or just maybe some kind of a guided ride. That'll always help you make this sort of thing happen sooner, and you'll be happy that you did once you've headed out there on that trip and realized that you got the heck out of Dodge. So, Yeah, and a cool thing with kind of a race setting or something like some sort of event like that is that you're surrounded by likely a bunch of other people who also have traveled there, and so you'll get some of this like, uh, networking that can happen for possible other trails or other races that you might be able to do in the future. Uh, as well as some of that local knowledge, because there's definitely going to be those guys and gals from the local area signing up for those. So that's a really cool, cool tip. Like, make it something you're going to go to, right? Totally. And then, uh, man, I've done a bunch of different things, but one thing that's pretty cool, too, there's a lot of rad new mountain bikes out in this day and age. I mean, everyone loves talking about bikes, and I want to mention this here because it's very fitting, and this rarely enters the travel conversation. So if I was looking for a new bike and my local bike shop didn't have one to test and demo, or even if they did, wait a second, new bike? Maybe I should go someplace where I can demo that potential new bike on some super fun trails, and I can kind of wrap two things into one trip. So I would often tell people this on the phone when I was at Ibis, like, yeah, you live in Connecticut. You got 15 feet of snow out your door, but you want a new bike. Why not take a trip to Moab next weekend and ride a bunch of sweet bikes? And you can try our bike, try Pivots, Santa Cruz's, whatever, and compare them back to back. So that's another great reason to take a trip out. Yeah, and there's all kinds of, uh, of ways you can track that down too, right? Like basically every bike manufacturer will have their demo truck schedule out on their site. So you can look up like, is it going to be somewhere that I can or want to go to, you know, do, or do I want to go see Arizona because it's nice and dry and this, you know, demo truck is going to be in the area. So that's a really cool thing. And then there's also a bunch of events and stuff that are um, similar, uh, like outdoor demo that happens. Uh, oh, sorry, not outdoor demo. Um, outer bike. Outer bike. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. And that's been uh, growing a bunch too. Yeah. that And we've particip- uh, participated in that uh, several times and absolutely been just such a fun event and, you know, multi-day thing where you can try a ton of bikes in really cool terrain. And they do it twice a year now. Is that right? Yeah. Um, um, you know, I couldn't even tell you. I know they did one in Bentonville, Arkansas. I believe oh, they're yeah. doing one in B.C. up by Whistler, if I remember okay. correctly. And I feel like they've done, is it Sedona? Yeah, we did the Sedona one several times. And it was nuts. I mean, just absolutely bonkers. The cool terrain, the number of just awesome riders and people out there that you get to meet. And it's kind of like a community thing. Like you you meet a whole bunch of new people and just get oh, to totally. ride a ton. So, yeah. So that's definitely a cool that's travel thing. Totally an option. And the nice thing about doing that sort of thing, you don't necessarily have to travel with a bike. So that brings your costs way down. Now, the downside is if you're going with a family, what are they going to do while you're out shredding? So, yeah, and you don't get to go to the most remote spots with that. You know, you're kind of stuck there at a main trailhead that's going to be crowded. So it's not for everyone. And I don't like this whole conversation is not just about go someplace new and buy a new bike. No, it's just that's, no, no, that's no. one possible <laughs> motivator for taking a trip. And one way you can think about this that not many folks consider out of the gate. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we kind of want to look at um, all the different options. Like I said, I'm often a car or van uh, sort of bike destination. So I try to look at things that were close to me. Uh, it's part of how I easier, (laughs) right. It's part of how I explored the Midwest a lot, which, you know, it's always funny because the Midwest, I I don't think anyone just immediately thinks like 
you know, Imba epic rides and stuff like that. But, you know, it was awesome. I was out there and got to ride Brown County and different places in Indiana and Ohio and stuff. And like, there was great trails. And a big part of it was that just everywhere I went, I made sure to pack my bike and take it with me and have gear just in case. So, nice. you know, there's kind of a lot of options here. Um, obviously, you travel by plane uh, a lot. A by lot, plane. Yeah, I right? wish I could do more driving trips, but honestly, it's, yeah, with the weather playing a big part in the winter from trying to make content happen. And then there's yeah. lots of cool stuff nearby here, so I keep saving it for a later date. Like, oh, I'll save that trip for when I can't afford a flight or when I don't have time to fly. So back to the choosing a destination thing. Like, I, I mentioned that Allegiant Airlines thing because right. these guys are, it's like, it's not even the Greyhound bus of air travel. It's like the, oh man, it's it's pretty low budget airline. So the whole yeah. idea is like I would look on, see where they fly to and it's like, you know, 60, 70 bucks a flight. And then I go on Trail Forks. MTB Project works too. I'm just more familiar with Trail Forks. Mm -hmm. And then once you go there, you can look at top regions in a state or you can just look at whatever destination your cheap airlines flies to and look for what's heavily ridden there. And you can do a little bit of researching to see if it's worth your trip. Yeah. And the good thing with uh, companies like Allegiant and stuff like that is not only is it it's cheap, but often they service smaller airports and stuff. So if you're at uh, a place where maybe you can't um, get to a bigger airport as easily, or if the place you're trying to go to is a little smaller of a hub, often these kind of airlines will actually go to these smaller hubs. Uh, and so you can actually be closer to the, the riding destinations. And so Southwest is a good one. Allegiant, uh, Alaska Airlines Alaska's is an awesome excellent. one. Alaska yeah. Yeah. Um, Frontier uh, is another one. Doesn't Frontier. Doesn't mention too much. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, kind of check these out. See where they land and take off from to see which uh, fits kind of your location the best and where you're hoping to go to. And then you mentioned um, Trail Forks. And for those who may not know, uh, Pinkbike put this out um, and has been working on it for, man, like five years now, At something least, like that. At least, if not longer. Yeah, but this is basically a community-created um, app that takes trail reports and uh, new trail input uh, from the communities that, that are um, building these things and actually creates a trail network system app where you can find it and get reports and updates and all that kind of stuff from the people that are local there and really get some guidance on what trails you can ride, what's being built, etc. I know we used it again with our little local trails and it was crazy. Um, we got Don't people... call Post Canyon your little local trails. No, 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 like no, no. A I'm, talk... I'm talking Illinois trail. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, you yeah. can say local trails for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Post Canyon's pretty legit. But uh, in Illinois, I mean, we had these tiny little trails and it was just a small group of us, um, but we put them on uh, trail forks and we put them on MTB Project and a few others. But uh, it was cool because we had people coming from three to six hours away who would kind of find us on there and would be like, oh, I didn't know there was trails there. I'm driving to Chicago. Why don't I stop? And so it was nice. really cool because uh, you can find a lot of information and kind of get some inside track using these apps. Uh, and I, Trail Forks is my go-to one as well, but there are several other good ones. Uh, single Track, uh, or Single Tracks, I guess, does one as well. Uh, MTB Project has one. There's a, several out there. So. And there's a little regionality with these two. I've had good luck with Trail Forks in New Zealand. Up here in the Northwest, mm -hmm. Trail Forks is massively popular and strong. In the Central U.S. and in the South, it seems like MTB Project is still stronger. Mm -hmm. 
I haven't mm -hmm. been to the East Coast, but I've heard that it's a little bit more well used over there. So do a little research. They're both free, completely free. Trail mm -hmm. forks, I've actually got most of my neighborhood of, you know, trail runners, dog walkers, whatnot, all on trail forks because it works right. so well yes. and it's totally free and all of our trails are on it. So all you do is download the app and then open it up and you need to download each state or region you're going to travel to. Yeah. And it's good to and know that in key. advance. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That is key because when you're out on the trails uh, or when you're traveling, you can actually use this in offline mode or, yeah. or airport uh, or airplane mode. So it, it allows you to see the information and actually see where you're at on the maps without using up your data. Or if you're riding a remote trail, you may not have data. So definitely download them before you leave your house. And even right. better, on the flight, if you've taken one of these low-budget airlines, you're not going to yeah. have any of that in-flight Wi-Fi. So you need something yeah. to do. You can read about each one of those trails that you're salivating to ride as soon as you touch down. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Well, very cool. I think that gets us uh, kind of an idea of like, okay, we're picking trails and, and, and locales. Um, but now there's kind of that next step of... Finding accommodations. Um, obviously, there's this big bike that's possibly going to be dirty or muddy or something that's going to be with you. Oh, yeah. is, is there anything to consider when it comes to picking your accommodations in your locale? You know, there's arguments to be made for several different ways of doing this. Um, I've always really liked the Airbnb setup because okay. usually you have a little bit more space and privacy than a hotel. Yeah. And what I, what I like to do on Airbnb is search for the word bike, or I just read through the description, and if I see any kind of a bike item in the pictures, or if I see them mention that there's good mountain biking, yeah. I kind of hone in on that, because that's going to be someone, like if it's a host, they can help tell you, like, hey, there's this cutty trail through the neighborhood to get to the trailhead. Yeah. Don't go left. Take the trail on the right. That's the good one. Hey, you can borrow my shop in the garage to put your bike together. So nice. sometimes that can be a big home run. Other times with Airbnb, you might have, you know, dead birds in the ceiling of the house. There might just be, <laughs> who yeah, knows what know. going on. True, <laughs> true story there out in Brevard, North Carolina. That was gross. <laughs> okay. So you never know what you're getting with Airbnb. But I've had a lot more home runs than I've had flops. And then with the hotel thing, sometimes hotels are great. They're turnkey. You know what you're getting. At the same time, they can sometimes even be closer to the trails. Other times they're in town and farther away. And then you've got to deal with an uptight person at the reception desk who doesn't want a muddy bike going down the hall. Yeah, so yeah. There's yeah, that I usually, aspect. If I am staying at a hotel, I'll usually call ahead and, and ask about the bike because I just don't want to get surprised. Like, I don't want to be there and have them be like, what the heck, why are you bringing a bike into the room? And I'm like, well, I'm not leaving it out on the bike rack. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not happening. And in places uh, like Whistler, there's actual bike hotels that want you to valet your bike. And that's like a whole ordeal. I've never had mm -hmm. to really deal with that, but it's something to know in advance. And I've never run into no bikes allowed, but I have heard of that as a thing, which is a Debbie Downer. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of cool um, on the Airbnb side. Um, I'm, I wish I would have uh, found this guy again. I'm not sure how I'd find him. But there is a guy who has been outfitting all his stuff uh, in Bentonville, Arkansas. He has a series of Airbnb little um, rooms or whatever. But it's really cool because he does um, these like bike work areas in them. And the only reason I know this is uh, we have some cool products in our foundation collection. Um, that have these like cool bench or wall mounted um, work stands and stuff like that. And he's been using our tools and that and, and then tagging us in it on social media. And so I've seen him and talked with him a few times. 
But it's really cool because like um, That's people not Jordan, are... is it? Is that bike rentals NWA? Yes. Oh, yes, I met that, that guy. Is... Yeah, hey, he's super cool. nice. Yeah, he's the <laughs> Ibis rider. Super nice guy. I met him um, when we were out there shooting that video. Super good guy. Nice. I'm glad yeah. you were. I was like, man, I, I should know this name. That's him. <laughs> so he's super cool. Um, and like he's, yeah, outfitting his Airbnbs with these like workstations and stuff. And I just think it's really cool because um, obviously Bentonville is a big bike community, but it's cool to see like the, you know, house owners and stuff there. Uh, catering to grow the sport and to bring in more tourists and to accommodate the needs that they would have and stuff. So uh, you should check out Jordan. <laughs> His stuff's really cool. And, and if you haven't ridden Bentonville, I mean, uh, obviously, if you haven't seen Jeff's video, go out and watch it. Well, several videos, actually. Watch those because Bentonville's just bonkers. And then all the areas around there are growing up massively, too. So I'm actually hoping to get back to Southwest Arkansas area at some point or Northwest Arkansas area myself. So yeah, sorry. Map stuff. Um. (laughs) (laughs) One other thing I might mention on accommodation, it can be rad. If you're looking for a fun, just simple vacation, have a good time with your bike. It can be really nice getting someplace to stay that's at the trailhead because rental cars often end up suboptimal for your actual bike. So driving to and from, uh, putting your bike yeah. together, taking it apart. It's that's kind of a downer. So if you can just ride from home, that's great. So Yeah, yeah. And you know, it just it simplifies the um the uh, amount of you know preparedness you have to have uh before leaving your own house, not just the house that you're gonna be staying at. But when you're trying to get packed for everything, it's just one less thing to think about, one less thing to arrange. And so yeah, I, I stayed in a place in Sedona and granted we had driven there. Um but I mean literally out my door and just onto the trails and just miles and miles of awesome riding straight from the house. And Sedona is good for that too, because the riding's so dispersed yeah. all over town. You can pretty much ride to any trail from anywhere in town. Yeah. Or at least ride to good trails from anywhere in town. Yeah. There's a few that it was better if we drove just so we could get more mileage in that area. Yeah, more but, dirt miles. but man, like there's just so many good trails and they, there's so much connectedness between all of them that I, there was no trouble finding 20 and more mileage uh, each day. It was just kind of bonkers how good that place is. I love Sedona. I, I can't wait to go <laughs> Me back. Too. So, yeah. Uh, so speaking of, you mentioned the rental car thing. Um, oh, so yeah, it's a, it's a thing, right? Uh, one tip that I've actually gotten from some friends of ours who travel to Europe kind of regularly with their bikes and who travel around the U.S. quite a bit with their bikes, uh, their jobs kind of help with that. What they actually did, and I am considering this myself because I've been traveling a bunch more, um, is sea soccer racks. Um, kind of an interesting thing. They got... Um, these fork mounted suction cup racks that go on to basically any car and it actually fits inside their suitcase. So the one that they got is the Talon or whatever, but it's like got three suction cups on the front and I think it's uh, one on the back and you do like a fork mount. And they actually got that because it was so much easier to make sure that they could get their, their bikes to where they needed to go without um, worrying about like, does it have enough room in the trunk? Because I run into that. I get SUVs whenever I drive down to or fly down to Southern California. So if I want to drag a bike around. Um, but even then, it can be a bit of an origami situation trying to get that bike <laughs> inside the car. And especially if it's dirty and muddy. 
Um, and, and so, if you've actually got like an Evoc case or something, those cases are not small. In Iceland, I had to literally yeah. take all the poles out of my Evoc bag to oh, fit geez. it in the car <laughs> with the bike, with the baby. Once you have a baby, all this packing oh, stuff gosh, becomes yeah. a, a next level challenge. But. Yeah, that's us next week. I'm heading down with my wife and kid as well. They're going to go to Disneyland while I work. Um, but yeah, like, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, where do I put my kid and my bike? That's a whole challenge together. So, yeah, that's a really good idea about the sea sucker racks. I never thought about that. And it, you could definitely save, you know, maybe a hundred bucks on the cost of the rental car. Now, right. the, the one thing I do have to deal with is that my bike bag and bike weight is pretty high. So I've got to cram mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff in a second bag most of the time. So it, it, it is one more item to bring with you, but that's also a pretty slick way of doing it. Yeah, I was pretty impressed when they, they came up with it. And so um, I didn't jump on the bandwagon yet, but now that I'm traveling a bit more uh, to and from you know, Oregon to California mainly, I think it may be happening. And they're not cheap, I will say that. Sea soccer racks are definitely pricey, but part of that price that you pay for is they, they use really good suction cups. It's kind of bonkers, but your bike feels really solid up there. So um, yeah, it's, it's probably going to be on my short list of things. Uh, and it's a worthwhile thing if you travel frequently, yeah. if you're traveling once, eh, it might not be so worth it. Um, but other than that, uh, any tips on rental cars? I mean, like SUVs, or yeah. should we be getting Tahoes? What's our, what's our <laughs> preferred uh, vehicle here? That's a great question. Uh, man, it all depends on who I'm traveling with and the situation, but Lately, I've had pretty good luck with a little app called Turo.com. And this app is cool because it's like the Airbnb of, of cars. So instead of like using Hertz, Avis, Budget, all the regular car rental things, I like to get minivans if I can, because sometimes yeah. the minivans are cheaper than an SUV and they've got a heck of a lot more room inside. Yeah. And if my yeah. bike's not getting stolen, then I am definitely having a better time than the opposite. So I like having the bike kind of out of sight, out of mind. So if I can't do a minivan through those car rental sites at a good price, I'll usually check Turo. And okay. the, I, I don't know, Turo, it's pretty straightforward. The nice thing about it, if you're trying to lug your bike through the airport, there's nothing I dislike more than getting off a flight, exhausted, and then having yeah. to navigate a crowded bus to get to an off-site rental yeah. center. Like trying to get a Phoenix airport at their... Um, They've got, I mean, all over the country, you guys, there's rental centers that are just, it's one more thing to deal with. Oakland yeah, has a, another one, too. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It just sucks. And then over in Asia, people are all about taking minimal amounts of luggage on their trips, which is really cool and responsible. But then when they see, like, basically a foreigner with this huge bag, yeah. it's just so uncool. They're not really, I didn't get a whole lot of slack either times that I had a bike bag with me when I was traveling to Taiwan. So, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to... Thinking about that made me realize that Turo, where they come and pick you up at the curb, at the baggage yeah. claim, you don't have to deal with any of this off-site nonsense. So I'll yeah, deal with like, it, right? it, yeah, it's just one less thing of picking up the bike, waiting in line, yada, yada. So that was easier in that regards. And then the cars aren't brand new. So I rented like a 2006 Nissan um, okay. a little while ago. It had like 170,000 miles on it. The brakes weren't nearly as strong as I thought they would be, but <laughs> I'm serious. It, it worked. It's technically safe, but... But yeah, the thing was 30 bucks a so day. So there's an asterisk, asterisk next to this Turo recommendation. Well, it's like the Airbnb. <laughs> so you can have a great experience, and at the same time, you can have a eh kind of an okay. experience. You okay. never quite know what you're going to get with those. So it's, yeah. it's, a real, it's a gamble. It's whereas like you go with the I, corporate thing, you're probably going to have like you know the standard experience. 
Right. I've, I've never heard of that app. Um, so cool. I'll check it out and see. <laughs> but uh, It can be helpful, yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely awesome. read the reviews. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Now, so we've been talking about, um, you know, flying with your, your bike. But often, if you're choosing to go to a bike destination, there are other options for riding bikes, such as renting bikes. Uh, what's your thoughts on that versus flying your own bike? Well, like I mentioned earlier, if you're curious about some new bike, like say you want to check out a new Evil and your local dealer doesn't carry Evil, has nothing to do with them, then you fly down to, I think, I think over the edge in Sedona is the Evil oh, yeah. dealer down yeah. there. You can go rent one for a few days. That can be a, a total home run. You don't have to deal with packing your bike. You don't have to deal with dragging it to and from the airport. You can just take a carry-on and that's it. And then you get to ride the new bike in the new place. The downsides are waiting for the bike shop to open in the morning. Mm -hmm. I just feel like you got your one trip and the bike shop's not opening till 10. At the same time, are you really going to ride from 10 until 6 p.m.? Sometimes I, I ride for more than that. <laughs> it all depends what's going on. But yeah, it so depends the plus on how side. many beers I can drink in between each of my <laughs> ride segments. So. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know. My trips are usually tri like video trips, and we're usually shooting yeah. from sunrise often all the way to sunset in the winter. So for me, yeah. I, I can't really squeeze my schedule in around the, the rental hours. Yeah. Um, but oftentimes, it's a great way to go, and you, know, you can get a great new bike experience. So renting makes a lot of sense. Traveling with your bike, it's for Southwest, it's 75 bucks each way. Um, United, American, Delta, kind of the standard econo American type airlines, they charge 150 each way. Yeah, so 300 brutal. round trip. Are you kidding me? Whereas, yeah. you know, Southwest, you're at half that. And then Alaska is, I believe, 40 now, as long as your bike's pretty lightweight. And my bike wasn't, it's like under 50 pounds and it's 40 bucks. Frontier had similar low pricing. At that point, cost-wise, it can be cheaper to bring your bike than to pay whatever the shop charges. I've heard shops charge 75 up to 200 a day for a bike rental. So... Yeah, and it kind of depends on the area and, you know, the number of bikes and all that kind of stuff. Because some shops are yeah. really good. But I would say, like, plan on 60 probably being the absolute minimum you're ever going to pay. And, yeah, upwards of 150 and stuff. So it is definitely something to consider to actually pack your bike and bring it. Um, and, and the damage uh, that your bike incurs when you travel with it is substantial. So that's another factor that is... Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, like they're airlines, while they are good at flying, they are not always good at handling packages. I remember watching a Cess Bike Hacks thing where he put the camera in the bag <laughs> and like legit, he had the video of the guy like just kind of like tossing his bike and it was a little bit scary. Bike was fine. And that's where these bike bags and stuff like that really help because they do add protection and you can actually add more protection by like putting your clothes in around it or, you know, putting foam around the forks and stuff like that. You just always have to consider the weight as you go as well. Um, cause you can get with an hit with another overweight fee as well as your bike shipping fee. So that's always a, you can a quickly well. get hit with an overweight fee. Yeah. yeah. The Evoc bag weighs a lot. I don't know if it's 20 pounds or 15 pounds, but it's the Evoc bag is, it's, it's quite hefty, which is, you know, it is what it is. So, the bike yeah. bags are awesome because it's so easy to put your bike in it. You know, you're looking at 20 minutes right. to pack your bike up. 
Where, and you, yeah. usually you, you own the thing, so it's in your closet. You just go grab it, take off your yep. wheels, your derailleur hanger. I usually just use that one bolt for the derailleur hanger. And there's a and place for everything, risk. right? Oh, Maybe. yeah, inside the case, totally. Yeah. But I so stopped using any of that stuff. stuff. Oh, okay. Then my bike gets so heavy. So I just like literally, like, after I'm done riding at the end of the trip, I throw my tires away to get rid of that extra six pounds of weight. And just, okay. yeah, I don't, I didn't put my pedals in the bike bag anymore because I needed that bike bag to be 50 pounds or less for Alaska. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I got almost nothing in there besides the bike. Sometimes I'll even put the dropper seat post in my suitcase to try and save yeah. that extra weight. See, nuggets. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> if you can yeah. weigh it and if you can be under 50 pounds, you're definitely in the clear. If you're flying to New Zealand, they have very strict weight limits to go to New Zealand, wow. as well as okay. cleanliness standards. So they don't want any yes. foreign dirt coming in. Yeah, that's actually a great tip too, right? Like uh, on an environmental side, traveling with a bike means that there's probably dirt on it, which actually can be really detrimental and not to places just like New Zealand. I grew up in Hawaii and like, I remember, you know, having to like clean out things like super thoroughly when we traveled because they don't want the dirt and the microorganisms and all that stuff to come over and kind of, you know, infect the rest of the, the uh, habitat there and stuff. And so like, think about that when you're traveling, it's a really good idea to give your bike a wash before you travel because and after you travel, like after you're done, because you're not going to bring that stuff to places where it's not natively from. And it's also going to reduce the weight of your bike. So it's a win win. <laughs> so yeah. you know, I had to consider the nuggets. weight of the extra mud on the bike. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you, that's some awesome. of my friends, that's a legit thing. That's six pounds right there. So Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's funny. There's some, well, back there's to some the... people who are bad at that. So. Back to the bike case thing, the this time it takes to put your bike in there is so minimal. It's so easy to pack that thing up, and then it is very well protected. It's not perfect. You know, when they drive over it with the forklift, you're going to find some crunches, yada, yada. It's not perfect, but for the, the convenience factor alone, that's where they really shine. I mean, the 29-inch wheels on my current Evoc bag are really hard to get in there, but yeah. I can usually make it happen. Lately, I've been leaving rotors on front and rear and just yeah. going for it, and so far, so good. One other travel tip, have the same size rotor on the front as on the rear, and then bring just bring one spare in case you need it. Um, okay. Yeah, it's just, you can even, I mean, if you don't have center lock, you can find six-bolt rotors just about in any yeah. province in the world. Yeah, uh, and I, like I always recommend to just bring in something cheap um, because the reality is, is you just need to get through whatever the incident is. So like for me... I personally ride uh, Shimano brakes and, you know, I have their two-piece rotors and they're nice and expensive. But when I travel, I actually just grab a cheap six-bolt uh, six stamped rotor and it, it just keep it nice and simple. And that way, like, I'm not having to worry about, like, damaging my nicer stuff and, and worry about that as much. So that's kind of always been my go-to is, like, I just want the cheap and easy things because when I get home, I can always put nicer stuff back on. But this is kind of my travel kit. So, yeah. Ah, I see. 
Man, my yeah. whole theory was just if I bring a spare rotor, I'm not going to need it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, there is something to that, right? There's the voodoo of, of traveling. If you bring it, you won't need it. If you don't, you absolutely will. So things like uh, cables, right? I almost never need them on a trip, but if I don't bring it, I guarantee you I snap a cable and I can't shift anymore. So <laughs> A cable's a great one to bring, along with a pair of cable cutters. That's like yes. one of the most key tools to have with you. Yeah, it's crazy how, how important that is. So, okay, let's talk about that then. Um, what are the items that you like just won't leave home without on a trip? <laughs> you know, the list has gotten shorter and shorter with every trip. Um, I might have to adjust it too. So I, typically I bring one spare rotor, one okay. spare pair of brake pads, mm -hmm. and then often I bring a spare chain, but not always. A quick link will make do if I need it. Um, I mm -hmm. used to bring a spare derailleur, which I thought was ridiculous. And then in Iceland, I totally destroyed an XT derailleur. So sure enough, my, my buddy who I was there filming with, who owned a bike shop, threw an SLX on there that to this day is still on that HD4. Nice. Nice. <laughs> haven't even bothered. Yeah. yeah. And then um, the derailleur I was supposed to put on there, I just kept leaving in the suitcase as the spare, and hence I haven't had to use it. And same thing happened yep. in Arkansas. I had a derailleur get munched, but I had taken that spare derailleur out. I never use the spare derailleur. I don't need to bring it to Arkansas. Immediately yeah. on day one, shred an XT derailleur, which is very hard to find in the middle of Arkansas. It took like calling a dozen shops to find one. Yeah. And then it was like a hundred bucks to buy a new XT derailleur. And I think Jensen has them at like $60 or something. Something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was wild. So yeah. anyhow, I, it all worked out, but, um, I bring a, an actual screwdriver size Torx screwdriver. If I need to remove a rotor, it's so nice to have a regular full-size tool to do that, and it's not all that yeah. heavy. And then I bring a, an Allen key set of 8 millimeter down to 1.5. I pull the yeah. 10 mil out because there's nothing 10 mil and that's heavy. Um, okay. And then I just bring a multi-tool that has a, a chain breaker on it. I always keep a shock pump in my backpack because that's always there along yeah. with a mini yeah. pump. And that's, that's pretty much it. Honestly, that multi-tool, I mean, that'll do things if I need them to, but the full-size Allen key set, the full-size Torx T25, that's pretty mm -hmm. much it for the tools at this point. And then the cable cutters, I used to always bring them. Lately, I've been slacking. I've been slacking on, I usually keep a shift cable in the suitcase and I forget about it, yeah. but... I yeah. should I should bring cable cutters more, huh? I'm gonna need to bring them C on the trip. Cable today. cutters <laughs> definitely make make my short list, and, and if yeah. nothing else, like a pair of uh, you know side cutters or dikes is, is really important. So yeah, I had some know, Shimano cable cutters that were super sharp and like half the weight of the Park Tool ones. Those are really cool. I should I should grab. Those. Yeah, yeah, and I actually that's my thing is I've I always find the the lightest weight ones I can and uh, again I don't travel by plane very often but it's always that thing of considering weight um and so like I'm always like okay what's the lightest weight that I can get away with that's going to fit into my my stuff and and still do the job and so I'm not going to be angry when I'm you know trying to fix my bike trail side or at the hotel or wherever I'm at so Hopefully your yeah. bike just doesn't break. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, right? Like, so I did my, one of my last uh, bigger trips was, it was a driving one, but to Bentonville. And yeah, that place has definite rocks and stuff that can eat up bikes. 
as Jeff obviously had experience with. Um, but we went through that, you know, three days of hard riding and doing a bunch of cool stuff and nothing, like no issues. And on that trip, because we were driving and we had quite a bit of room, I had like a full toolbox and like extra stuff. I had like pre-ordered a bunch of uh, extra chains, even for my buddies and stuff like that. Like I had everything on that trip. <laughs> and of course, nothing happened. So now I just have all these spare parts laying around. But that's kind of the thing is you want to pack preemptively, but you also need to be smart about it. So you're just not overweighing things. So I think that's a pretty solid list. One that I always make a big deal about because I can't tell you how many times I've been on a trip with a buddy or even myself where sometimes this happens just going to my local trails. Um, it sounds ridiculous, but your helmet, your pedals and your shoes. Yeah, like, those, you don't want to forget those. <laughs> it, it's uh, it sounds like it sounds like I shouldn't even have to say this, but even myself have there have been times where I roll up to a trail and I get there and I'm like, all right, let's do this. And I'm like putting my pedals on my bike. I put my helmet on and then I go to like switch shoes and I've got a pair of Vans on and I don't have any riding shoes. And that's a really bad thing. Now, not so uh, not as bad for me because I tend to ride flat pedals. But if you ride SPDs or some sort of clip in pedal, that could be a really big deal. Riding in a pair of Vans on a pair of uh, Shimano, you know, pedals is not the ideal setup. So it sounds ridiculous, but always like before you even leave your house, just do the thing where you touch your head, you know, touch your feet, like make sure you've got your, your items that you need to go with you. We so. had a saying that was get your shid straight, S-H-I-D. Okay. And that was for the collegiate series where we would go to races and you have to have an ID to sign up as oh, long as, yeah. along with your shoes and helmet. So shoes, helmet, ID, shid, get your yeah. shid. I, I still to this day remember shid, shoes, <laughs> helmet. Dude, the other I, day I was on I a video show. I was on a video shoot the other day, and I had a, a video guy and a gal shooting photos professionally, and they're both there, and we're going to knock out some content. And we get to the top of the trail, driven up there, and it's a ways from town, and we're getting ready yeah. to go. And I realize I've got these tiny little, like, 747, like, absolutely tiny Shimano pedals on this bike, and yeah. my shoes are at home. And I've got, I've paid this video guy to show up. I've paid this photographer to show up. It's like, what am I going to do now? Like, what, we can't film anything without these shoes. So I literally, paying her, her photographer wage, hourly wage, had, the gal was super nice and super understanding, but I had to pay her photographer wage for her to go find some shoes. Yeah. yeah. I felt terrible. I felt so bad asking her to do that too. Yeah. And then we were able to shoot video while she was gone. Um, so it, it worked out as good as it could, but man, oh, that, yeah, I haven't forgotten my shoes since that ride. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's such a ridiculous thing, because you're like, yeah, it's just my shoes, like, I'm not going to forget that, but it's amazing how many times it has happened in my traveling and riding days, so I, I highly recommend, and I like that, that shit thing, you know, it, yeah. I hadn't heard that, but now I feel like that's going to stick for me. Hey, I'd so, rather forget my shoes than my front wheel. Well, that is true, and on that note, your axle to your front wheel as yes. well. Oh my gosh, how many times has someone like pulled it off, packed their wheel, packed their bike, even in cars, you know, not when you're flying, and then that axle gets set on your workbench somewhere and just left there. That will end a trip pretty immediately because it is really hard to find a front axle while you're out just remote. Like you finding a, a rear derailleur might be challenging, 
but finding the proper axle in stock at a local bike shop is probably not going to happen. So what you are going to find is a local bike shop owner who will sell you an axle out of a brand new fork for about yeah. four times what the yeah. axle would cost once you're back home. Oh. Yeah, and justifiably <laughs> so because right? it's a big pain in their butt. That, that's and they can't sell that fork. That $1,000 fork on the wall is now just a paperweight until they get that axle in from Fox or RockShox. So. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I used to so, keep a spare uh, Ibis axle in my bag. I just put it in there for one trip and then forgot about it, and it was so light. Um, the five millimeter bolt in axle, yeah, it didn't yeah. weigh anything, didn't cost me anything. So that thing was, that was good to have in there. But yeah. And I, I used think to actually, that, oh, go ahead. Well, I used to bring a spare shock and a spare dropper seat post on all my trips, my big ones, okay. my international ones, because I figured yeah. if when a shock goes bad, it's hard to find the right hardware, it's hard to find right, the right length right. shock. And lately, shocks have been so good, I stopped doing that, knock on wood. Yeah. And then Fair the other enough. thing, the dropper seat post, they used to nowhere, they used to be so unreliable. It was like yes. the same deal. And you got to find, you got to install it, deal with finding the bike shop and all that. So I used to just go to the nines with all this, but nowadays things have gotten way better. So Yeah, that's, that's kind of the beauty is for the most part, reliability isn't going to be the thing that ends a trip. It's going to be, you know, a big wreck or something like that that's going to oh, do well, it. Well, not hopefully, but kind of, sort of, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So you want to plan accordingly. But yes. I, I think you land on a, a good concept, though, of um, you talked about several different parts that you kind of have just left in bags. And that's kind of been my go to is that as I plan for trips, uh, I basically will buy spare parts and then I leave them in my travel stuff. Dedicated, so whatever that yeah. is. Yeah, like that item doesn't get pulled out to, you know, work on some other bike um, while I'm at home, I'll buy new parts for that bike. Um, but I like having that because what's really nice is that ability to just, uh, grab and go. And I actually, like I'm currently snowboarding a lot and it's the same thing. Like my snowboard bag is just kind of a go bag, you know? And so same thing with my, my bike stuff. I just kind of like grab it, pack my stuff in and roll out, uh, to my car. And I know that it, I'm like ready to go because that stuff's just always in there. So it's really good to do that. And then if you use something on a trip, make sure when you get home or maybe even while you're on your trip, order up the replacement part for that part that you had to use. So if you normally take a rear derailleur with you on this trip and you, you know, smash it and have to replace it, it's a really good idea to basically, as you're there, order up a new one, have it at your house ready to go so that the, when you get home, you can just replace that into your bag and, and be ready to go. So... You know, one thing that I've, I really try to do for all my trips, and this is going to sound so basic, but I think it's a big deal. I try to buy a ton of energy bars before I leave okay. home, like yeah. at minimum of 10, maximum of probably 30, which is ridiculous. But yeah, you would be surprised. I try to keep a lot of them in my carry on bag because you'd be surprised like when a flight gets canceled and it's 10 o'clock at night and all the places at the airport are shut down. You literally, you're starving hungry. So it's good to have some backup food. But when you get to your destination and you go to ride, the last thing you want to do is you spend all this money to go ride. Don't bonk on your ride. I mean, that would yeah. be terrible. And you don't want yeah. to waste all your time running around trying to find whatever bars you want to eat at a good price. So yeah. I think it makes sense to stock up in advance with an insane number of bars of whatever type and just have them as a backup and just 
cut that out of the whole <laughs> the whole yeah. issue of traveling. Absolutely. And I, I think of that on several levels. Um, one of my favorite products is one called Sport Legs. That's basically just, you know, some pills with a bunch of um, electrolyte type stuff in it. So it's got potassium and yada yada in it. And um, anyways, those ones uh, go right in next to um, all my nutritional stuff. Because for me, those are what allow me to ride day after day, because that's the other part with traveling, is that it's not like at home here, if I'm tired, I can just be like, yeah, I'm going to go do something else, or I'll do a different style of riding. But on a trip, like when you're in Sedona for three days, you're not going to take two of those days to just relax and recover. And so these sport lakes have been a really good thing to allow me to recover quickly and be ready to ride that next day because I'm going to be trying to throw down as many miles as as I can each day. And I want to be performing at a good good level. So I've always I think, heard those are just good for hangovers. Well, they probably are. I personally don't use them for that because <laughs> they're kind of pricey. Um, so I try not to just use them for that. But I'm sure... If, because that's the other piece, right? Most people, when they travel, also go to some breweries and do some stuff like that, experience the local food culture. Uh, and so, yeah, you might also use it for that. And that's a good thing. So, um, speaking of food, uh, what's, what's kind of your off the bike recommendations uh, when you're in these places? Like, I think of us going to Bentonville and there was this awesome pizza place with an amazing uh, beer selection. Not a big beer selection, actually quite small, but just everything was so good. And the pizzas were just insane. And like to this day, I, I just want to go back to that pizza joint and, and do that part of the trip again. So was that what are oven your, and uh, tap in Bentonville? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those guys sponsor the, the Ibis Enduro race team that's out there. That's a super cool spot. Yeah. Super cool. Great food. Great, great beer. So it's awesome that you're like pulling out all of the names of these Bentonville places for me. Well, I remember that because I never get to have any of that kind of like fun, like, hey, let's go to the brewery and have a good time. When I'm usually on a trip, it's often like a, a workmate content trip. Uh, yeah. So I'm literally like out of the hotel before sunrise, like not much in the way of a fancy breakfast. And then it, we're basically shooting all day, skipping lunch, eating just more bars, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which is terrific, but yeah, not really. And then usually when we're back home trying to, get out for dinner it's so late everything's already shut down so we're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel so yeah. i don't have great advice other than google for finding good eateries and asking the guys at the shop yeah and so that's kind of been my go-to is uh when i do travel to somewhere ahead i usually will hit up on facebook or um you know try to find whatever the local trail advocacy group is um or you know what the local shops are that are hot and I'll go and actually call them ahead of time and be like, hey, what's cool? What do I need to make sure to do? What trails do I need to be checking out? And then often I'll ask the question of, is there anyone I can ride with? And uh, nice. man, more often than not, these shops will be like, oh, yeah, we've got a guy or there's this friend or, you know, whatever it is. And it's great to have somebody uh, take you around their trails because man it's riding trails blind is fun and challenging but I love following somebody who knows the nuances of the trail because you can find and experience things that you wouldn't see the first time through and often um, at least in my riding I don't get a chance to ride a trail you know multiple times uh, on a trip and so it's not like I can kind of 
go back and figure out the nuances of that trail. And so it's great to ride with somebody who's got it, you know, the flow of that trail just dialed. And if the shop does have an actual group ride, that's so much fun yeah. to show up and just hang out, make a bunch of new friends, have just have a fun experience with them. So that's, that's definitely the way to go if you can find yeah. it. And the other good part too about hitting up like the local trail advocacy uh, Facebook page or, or group is um, you can actually get trail conditions. Because I know for me, if I'm going to travel far, I don't want to get there and be surprised by, you know, a big rain and realize I can't actually go ride. And so it's great to, to kind of, you know, tap into those resources and get to know what's going on uh, and get an idea. Because often, especially with like a Southwest and stuff, you can actually change your ticket without any sort of real penalty. So it's a good idea to kind of have a scope on what's going on in that locale before you leave. That's yeah. smart advice. I usually just have to go for it and cross my finger. <laughs> yeah, your setup's a little different, you know, doing this uh, as a professional thing. So, um, well, very cool. Um, any other tips before? You know, there's one really big one that I want to mention, and okay. that's that, you know, flying with your bike isn't really that sweet. But what is really sweet is just when you roll into a place and your bike's already there waiting for you. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I've used these guys. They're based out of Portland. I've actually met the owner a couple times. They're super legit. It's called bikeflights.com. And all they are is a shipping service. And the way their business works, it's pretty simple. They've got a website. You go in, punch in your information, and get a shipping label. Now, the really cool part about this is that big shipping companies like FedEx and UPS, they allow discounts to whomever customer they have. And then right. the customer, based on their ship volume, gets X amount of discounts. And then the really tricky thing is you can apply these discounts in different ways. So like Amazon has applied their discount to second-day shipping for Prime. Okay. Whereas Bike Flights has their discount applied to big bike size boxes shipped via FedEx ground. So okay, yeah. I've actually had it be cheaper to ship with bike flights than shipping on big corporate bike companies shipping accounts. It's amazing that yeah. the rates that bike flights gets, like they're staying in business, so they probably get even better rates than I'm seeing. But yeah, the paying retail at bike flights is usually lower than some kind of super rad super discounted deal at like some other big shipper. It's crazy how good of a price you can get through bike flights. And the advantage of that is you get to your destination. If it's an Airbnb, often you can just ship your bike straight to where you're going to stay. You just go there, open it up and hopefully ride out from the place. Yeah. So that's so easy. And the price of that, you know, 50 ish bucks to ship it for two or three States away and you know, 80 bucks yeah. ship it across the country. That's not a bad deal at all. I think it was like 125. Retail UPS shipping would be like 175. I think I've seen like 125 for a lot of the bike shop level shipping. And then bike flights is substantially cheaper than that. So bikeflights.com, I definitely recommend that. Yeah. Now, when you work with them, um, do you have to provide your own box? Do they provide a box for you? What's the, how does that work? Well, that's another thing we should mention before we close this all up. So bike flights, they actually do sell a box. It's like kind of like a USPS style box with like a, I don't know if it's polypropylene or what, but it's like a, it's like a multiple use box, but it's nothing super, it's not like an Evoc bag or anything. It's just a simple shipping box that'll last for a long okay. time. Yeah. But um, I honestly like, just like to use plain old bike boxes. Just go to a bike shop, see if yep. they have any boxes in the recycling pile that you can grab. Sometimes the shops will want to charge a few bucks, and when it's a box, it's already in the dumpster. I get kind of bummed by that. But when I have to right. pull a bike out of a box in order to give you the box, I totally understand. So, yeah, yeah getting a bike box makes so much sense because then 
when you're done with your trip, you don't have this thing hanging out in your house anymore. If you needed to a point-to-point -point ride, like you're going to do a bike tour somewhere, you yep. can probably find a new box at the end of your tour, so you can just recycle the box once you've landed and got your bike out, get a fresh box for the trip home. The box is free. It doesn't really weigh much, so if you need to meet that 50-pound or less barrier to save whatever hundreds of dollars, then yeah. you're totally in the clear. The downside is that it takes a lot longer to get your bike packed in there safely. Yeah. So there's yeah. that. Now, there are some probably YouTube videos that can help guide you on this. Um, it, I used to, years ago, help with uh, bike building and packing at Jensen USA when we were switching warehouses. And you can get really good at it. But I will tell you, it, it does, <laughs> you lose this talent. Because I've actually, I, it's been years since I've done it. And I take way longer to pack a bike now in a box when I sell it than uh, prior. However, with that being said, again, you can, you know, wrap items around it. You can put foam around it. You can even throw in some of your clothes and stuff to help protect it in the box. So you can get kind of a, a good um, benefit out of the box uh, setup. And like Jeff said, it, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't really cost you anything uh, unless the bike shop charges you something for that box but often you can get the box and even some packing material from them to help keep that bike safe so definitely a good option um I, i've packed a bunch of bikes and um yeah i had i actually haven't ever used the bike flights thing i've seen them a bunch at different you know events and things like that and they seem like really cool guys so um yeah cool bike flights I dig yeah it. <laughs> i'm a big fan of them they're, they're good dudes cool um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of topics to cover on traveling with your bike, huh? Right? There's so much here. So I think the, the last piece uh, on this, um, you know, is, is don't discount um, how you get there, right? Like, the, at the end of the day, there's going to be stuff that's really cool in your backyard that you may not have checked out before, or you may want to start checking out some states that are further away and get into some adventure. But there are so many resources of people and um, bike shops and things like that that can help you get to these destinations. Uh, so, you know, reach out to people and say, you know, what's cool? Where should I be checking it out? Obviously, you know, Jeff and I both like Bentonville and Sedona, but I mean, there is amazing trails all over the place from Canada down through South America. Obviously, Costa Rica was one that you just did not too yeah. long ago. And that was that looked amazing uh, besides having a pretty big wipeout. But other than that, the trails looked awesome. So Minus the broken scapula, which was me <laughs> right. trying to ride in like a massive tropical downfall of rain. That was, yeah. that was a down. But there's Costa Rica is actually a great international destination, and there's a ton of companies down there that are catering to tourists. They'll either have bikes there, they'll help you get your bike there. Costa Rica is it's a really safe country, so I yeah. would have no hesitations of going there with my wife yeah, and beautiful. daughter. Yeah, so that's a great, but um, people do ask me pretty often, like, hey, I want to take a cool trip with my bike. Where do you recommend traveling to? So, Seth, what do you think? What are some of, can you list off a few rad, let's, let's start with the East Coast, make it a little more difficult because it's not as known for its okay. destinations. Let's okay. move west. What are some of your favorite spots on the East Coast to ride? Oh, man. So, I, like, legit have to call out Brevard and Asheville, North Carolina, um, just absolutely bonkers, but that whole pocket all the way down into Tennessee, Windrock area, uh, even into Georgia, there's just kind of amazing trails, really deep woods type of stuff. Like you can get real deep and real lost there uh, and just 
absolutely bonkers wild terrain. I mean, stuff that's wide open where you're just no brakes flying. And then all of a sudden sections where there's just gnarly rocks and often covered by leaf litter and stuff like that. And it's just absolutely wild. I always think like the guys at Industry 9 who we just saw released a really cool new hub with 0.5 degrees of engagement. That's so bonkers. But you look at it, you ride their terrain and you realize, oh, that's why these hubs got designed because it's such technical riding out there uh, and absolutely awesome and tons of good food and breweries and all that kind of stuff in Asheville and Brevard. So highly recommend that area. I'm trying to get to New Hampshire this summer and fall. I want to ride the New England area a little bit, but I want to mention down in Florida, uh, there's Santos Mountain Bike Trailhead. That's in Ocala. And then there's Alafaya just outside of of Tampa. And both those spots are, if you're in the Florida area, those spots are super legit. And if you're someplace really cold and frozen, maybe Hood River, and you want to go thaw out, that could be a really good destination. So I wanted to to throw those out there. All right. All right. Okay. So let's go a little bit westward here and go into kind of the the Midwest, if you will. What, What are your places? All I've heard of is Copper Harbor and I've never been. Yeah. I've heard of What about Marquette? Yeah, they both look just bonkers. And like, if you guys haven't heard of these places, um, this is Michigan and like Copper Harbor and all that. It's the UP area. I mean, just so remote. I think Copper Harbor is like 13 hours of driving through Michigan to get there because I was always looking from Illinois and I was just like, this is crazy. It's so far away. (laughs) But you drive forever and there's this tiny town with just absolutely awesome trails that were built by just some of the top-notch trail builders in the U.S. And it looks awesome. I've never been. I've heard amazing things, though. When I see um, pictures, it looks kind of northwesty. so I'm really curious to get yeah. out there. And it's surprisingly um, full of elevation, if you will. Like, the nice. Midwest is not known for mountains or, or any of that. So, like, I always got made fun of as, that I was mountain biking because there's no mountains. But surprisingly, that area has quite a bit going on. And a lot of these areas, um, like when we were in the Midwest, um, a lot of these areas uh, either get their elevation from old glacial movements that actually carved out these kind of valleys and rifts and stuff like that. And others were actually reclaimed mines. And actually that same thing in, in Florida, they're reclaimed mines that because they were digging out big vast swaths of land it created elevation and unique trails and stuff yeah so quarry is the term i always heard for the florida spot yep. which is interesting yeah rock quarries in illinois we had one in uh, kind of the danville area that was kind of the primary one for that and it was amazing just how pretty a reclaimed quarry or mine can be you're just like that is totally weird but I have to say for Midwest, I highly recommend kind of the Brown County. I was just going to ask about that. Folks keep Facebooking me to go there. Yeah, man. So legit, the toughest trail I've ever ridden what? Uh, is in Brown County. That's the Schooner Trace Trail. And I I never cleared it. Like, I'm, I'm a that pretty That sounds like a challenge writer. right there. <laughs> yeah, so like there's only a handful of people who have, including Jeff Lenoski being one of the ones. And he I did remember make the, it? Yeah, he did. Okay, but okay. There's, a, there's a corner in there that's an uphill corner where you have to trials ride up <laughs> okay. the boulders. And like I just, I don't have trial skills. There are none in my bones. And so... <laughs> 
I just did not make it. But that was not the only corner that stopped me. There are just a ton of techie lines and challenging things and weird off-camber stuff. And since I've been there, they've since added a bunch of flow trails and um, more kind of, it's a lot of cross-country riding there. Um, and the new flow trails are kind of uh, aiming to get people a little bit more on the, we'll say, free ridey, you know, flowy side. Um, but it's just awesome and beautiful. And this is one that's been cut out by glaciers and stuff. And so just cool elevation. And then again, cool um, breweries and wineries and stuff down in the area. Just cool cabins to stay in. Just really beautiful. So Brown County is my, my Midwest one. Nice. So Let's keep working our way south. Um, is Texas the next one we should be chatting about? We probably should. I don't know much about Texas riding. Um, you know, it's not very well known. Well, I think kind of the next thing I want to mention is Arkansas, and we've been kind of beating the Bentonville thing to death now, so we can, <laughs> yeah. for, for better, not for worse, the place is rad and worth a trip, but it's very well known. So Yeah, um, and now there's like Fayetteville and all those as well, which are yeah. a little bit farther away. I think they're about 45 minutes or so, but so much good riding in that state. Tons. So I don't know a ton about the Texas riding. I'm actually heading to Austin uh, next okay. week to do some riding. Spider Mountain, a new bike park just opened down there. Yeah, and I saw uh, Seth just did a video on that, and it looked pretty rad. So You actually published it? Um, I don't know if it went live yet. Okay, I'm curious to Instagram see Instagram clips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, saw, so. I was following his story, and it's like, man, I can't wait to get down there. I'm not going to ride Spider Mountain. I'm going to ride some other stuff. But okay. yeah, Austin nice. has a ton of riding in the area. A lot of it's different than what we might be expecting and i'll go into that in my video that i'll publish right. in, in march sometimes so stay tuned cool, cool, cool. <laughs> like and then it. you know new mexico i don't know much about the new mexican riding outside of taos and angel fire which is up at super high elevation yeah. Yeah. so that's outside the santa fe area so that's more of like a summer and fall destination not so much a wintertime spot yeah I've got a buddy, Andrew, who's out there, and again, I haven't really ridden there, but he posts pictures of awesome-looking trails all the time with some really techie ledges and stuff like that, so, you know, it's rad watching him, like, send it off these big rock ledges, and so, um, yeah, man, I bet there's amazing riding there. I just haven't spent any time there, so. You know, one spot that's worth mentioning, too, it's not all that crazy far, but it's south of Texas, so Oaxaca, Mexico, spelled O-A-X-A-C-A. Yeah. There's incredible riding in Oaxaca. There's a bunch of groups that do tours and guided rides, um, yeah. I've met a bunch of these guys at Interbikes and stuff over the years. They're super legit. So Google mountain biking in Oaxaca, and you'll definitely find some good stuff. That would be very worthy of a trip when it's cold and snowy. I kind of wish I was going there yeah. <laughs> this winter. Uh, I, I was supposed to actually be leaving on a trip to go kiteboarding down in Mexico. Uh, unfortunately, that is not happening. But one of the things while I was researching my trip that I found out is that there are amazing trails in La Ventana, Mexico, which is down on the Baja Peninsula. And uh, like a little bit um, north of the very tip there, uh, so Cabo San Lucas area, if you go up about two hours, there's supposed to be some awesome riding there. So another cool place to check out in Mexico for sure. Yeah, so. it's funny, but Mexico, like it actually feels like you're traveling when you end up in Mexico because yeah. <laughs> you've got a way bigger culture change than if you're just like going you know, across the United States. And it's not that, really, it's not that far. It's not that expensive to get down there. And once you're there, it's cheaper than being in the States. So yeah. I want to get down there more often. Um, moving more westwards, uh, do you have any recommendations for Arizona, Utah, maybe Colorado? Yeah. Um, I mean, man, 
it's like anywhere to ride in Colorado, (laughs) right? Like everywhere. (laughs) Um, It's kind of bonkers. Again, I had a buddy who just moved to Frisco, Colorado, which is a tiny little town. And I mean, there's just awesome trails right outside of his house. Right now it's all covered in snow, but he's been sending me pictures out there on his uh, his Mojo 3 with some plus tires on it and just getting out deep. Um, Man, it's there's... There's just so much to do in kind of that whole area. It's it's kind of bonkers how many trail places you can go. I don't even know where to begin. Um, I'd say but Netherland, Durango, Fort Collins. Yeah. That's like three corners that are well worth checking out. Yeah. And uh, what's the bike park in Colorado that everyone talks about just being Trestle? So cool? Yes, Trestle Bike Park. That it looks so nuts. I've never been, but the the trails there are just like next level. So. If uh, anyone's going to ride that stuff and flying into Denver, that would be a great airport to use Turo. Because that, for some reason, like I've gone to Colorado a bunch for EWS races and for filming, and the Denver airport rental car situation is horrendous. Interesting. They are way expensive. So, yeah, yeah definitely consider utilizing that app there in Denver. Yeah, fair enough. And that that's a monster airport anyways. So, yeah. Yeah, kind of crazy. Um, where are we heading to next? Arizona, Utah, give me some suggestions here, Seth. Oh, man. So, sadly, I actually have spent very little time riding in Utah. Um, I did get up to Park City and spent some time there. And uh, for lift access stuff, there's so much there. And actually, for non-lift access, there's tons of, like, backcountry, cross-country stuff there um, that's super fun. Um, But that place is is awesome. Uh, I actually was super stoked when I visited some friends in Salt Lake City. If you're looking for some in-town trails, and I'm going to not know the name at all, but literally at the top of the hill above uh, Salt Lake City is these trails that are like a mix of like dirt jump, uh, free ride sort of trails. And they're like right in town and they're so cool. And so I'd recommend checking those out. I cannot remember what they are called to save the life of me. Are those so. the trails that uh, Mike Jeezy rides in the Trust Performance Edit, the Dawn Till Dusk oh, or whatnot? Maybe. I, I don't know if I, I recognized them or not. They have like a big water tower at them. And I don't know. They're like literally just behind a set of houses. It's, <laughs> it's super cool. Um, nice. So I, well, there's I, a little town called Moab in Utah that can be Well, yeah, visiting. there is that. <laughs> Which is funny because I have I have ridden uh, off road trucks there, uh, but I have never <laughs> ridden my mountain bike there. You'd think I would have done one or the other, but uh, yeah. So um, yeah, Moab looks awesome though. I mean, there's so many trails to choose from in that area. Uh, moving more north, Wyoming, Jackson's supposed to be amazing. I haven't yet been. Yeah, me neither. Um, I, I hear there's a bunch of stuff there. The other place, um, kind of in that corner, uh, is, is Boise actually. And I haven't, I grew up kind of in the Northwest and back in the day, I was not a Boise fan. Um, it just wasn't a place I wanted to hang out, but apparently according to all my friends, it is super rad for mountain biking and skiing and all that stuff now. So kind of nice. interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, man, there's so many spots we could just keep going on and on and on, but I think that's a pretty good swath of the U.S. In terms of finding locations in Oregon and Washington, honestly, Trail Forks is so good yeah. that you can. we don't really need to give you guys a ton of recommendations. I might say in Oregon, Oak Ridge uh, would be like yeah. a great spot to hone in on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, and uh, Southern Oregon has just a ton of cool stuff. There's like the Ashland Super D area and all that that's just 
bonkers and good. And then Washington just has unbelievable trails. Like I have to legit say that I think Evergreen might be the most uh, amazing trail association I've ever seen. Like they, they just get stuff done. It's absolutely amazing what they do. And there's good trails all over because of those guys and gals all over. Issaquah is amazing. I mean, I, yeah. Issaquah, Olympia, Bellingham, of course. Spokane has good stuff. Wenatchee has good stuff. Leavenworth has great stuff. Yep. It's, it's just endless. If anyone's traveling with their bike, too, definitely don't overlook Vancouver, Canada. That's a great spot. Yeah. And oddly enough, we actually have some pretty cool trails on the other Vancouver, which is on the <laughs> Oregon-Washington border, uh, actually in a place called Camas. There's a bunch of really cool trails. And again, when I grew up, I grew up just across the river from Camas. And at the time, it was just the stinky place because it smelled like rotting <laughs> broccoli from a paper factory. Um, but oddly enough, my buddy Jeff, who's a mountain biker and an environmental scientist, um, helped to get rid of that stinky smell and, uh, he rides the trails out there and yeah. So an, another interesting place to check out. And then obviously we don't need to say things, but you know, there's always the, uh, Whistlers and all that of Canada, which are awesome and amazing as well. So yeah, yeah. with trail forks being as good as it is, I think folks can just log into BC and Alberta areas and trail forks and find some pretty good spots pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, very cool. And that's not the limit to where you can travel. Obviously there's <laughs> places all over internationally. Europe has some amazing stuff and, uh, you could just go everywhere. But the whole point is we want you guys to get out, ride, experience and explore. Uh, this world just has so much cool stuff to do and see, so you might as well do it on two wheels, right? You so I should. Think, I think that uh, <laughs> kind of wraps up our travel episode here. Um, you know, as always, we want to thank you for listening to us and joining us today. Uh, be sure to check out Jeff's various social media channels and his website. You can find his website at jeffkendallweed.com. And then he's on Instagram, YouTube, uh, Facebook, just kind of all the different channels. And he has a Patreon. And this is a really cool thing to do because not only do you get to support Jeff in making all kinds of cool content, but you actually get something out of it from Patreon. So Jeff is putting up all kinds of cool tutorials on how to be a better writer, how to like get set up on your bike, how to work with your suspension, all kinds of different things like that. So hit him up on Patreon give him a subscription, you know, pay your little bit of money. You'll get a bunch of cool content out of it because he's creating all kinds of cool things. Uh, I actually as, took a class on how to be a, a bike instructor with the whole goal of make being more legit yeah. for these riding tutorials. I've gotten asked maybe a thousand times, hey, do you do riding tutorials? And I was always like, no, I don't really know how to do them. So I went and did that class. And then... Yeah. So on Patreon, once a month, I upload a riding tutorial, and it's only uploaded to Patreon. I keep all of them there, and it's really easy to support me there and see them. There's, I don't think there's even a minimum. I think it's a $1 a month minimum to see them. And what's kind of cool, my tutorials are all about finding the mental techniques to figure out how to do things, because physically, I think most of us learn pretty quick, but it's figuring out upstairs how to make something happen that was always the hardest part for me. So that's what I, the kind of my strategy in those videos. Nice, very cool. 
So yeah, uh, check Jeff out on all those channels. Be sure to check us out as well on all those channels. Uh, we don't have a Patreon. <laughs> don't worry about that. Uh, but you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Make sure you subscribe in all those different places and uh, give us some likes and comments. We love to hear from you. And you can always reach us at podcast at jensenusa.com if you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas for this podcast. We'd love to hear them. Well... I think with that, that probably wraps things up. I need to go pack my bike and fly in Arizona in 48 hours. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a good thing we had this podcast so you know what to do. I need to get some sea suckers. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, Jeff, as always, good to talk to you, and we will see you on the microphones again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, right. Seth. This is a blast. Yeah, peace out.